Blue 80, Blue 80, shut up. And I snap the ball, and there's just this horrific splash. It's time to join the stink tank. The analytics people that I hate, I hate your guts. They don't play football, they play quarterback. I'd be the easiest guy in the world to kidnap. Mark Schlereth. This Every Tuesday with Wyman and Bob. We'll catch up with Mark Schlereth here in a moment. Trying to get a, establish a better connection, I guess, is what's going on there. We have a bad connection. Is that the deal? No, he uh, he needed a minute, but then I, I called him back too soon. So he's still not ready. So he'll be could, ready shortly. You, you called him back in less than a minute? Uh, you know, a minute turned out to be an informal unit of time. And I was All taking right. it literally. All right. Uh, well, we'll get Mark on here in a minute. The text line is there for you. 866-979-3776. Powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Uh, I, I think often we get texts from people that are listening to other shows based on some of the some of the subject matter. Because <laughs> uh, some are talking about things happening in other countries and how come we don't do this as a country. And but I'm just like, okay, I think you got the wrong show here. And then we get the text that'll just be a statement. It'll be like, it'll it, it, it's it's not specific. It'll say, well, yeah, that's happened before. I'm like. What has what what I'm not sure what we're talking about here. It's just it's uh, interesting how the how the texts uh, come through here. But you guys are free to text whatever you'd like. 866-979-3776 powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. And we'll, we'll run the whole uh, 49ers situation by by Mark. I'm very anxious to get his take on the whole overtime situation, which Dave and I discussed yesterday. And you had multiple players come out <clears throat> in the post game. Saying, oh, I thought, you know, if we scored first, we win the game. I didn't know the new rules, what have you. And that's, that's a huge story. And I and I get it. As we talked about yesterday, I get it. You feel like, hey, man, you got this amount of time to prepare for one game. There should be no stone left unturned. You should know everything that's going on. I understand it. But in the end, what does it matter if they knew the rules or not? All that matters is that Kyle Shanahan and his coaching staff knew the rules. Yeah, it'd be great if the players knew. But does that change how they play? They're not calling the plays, so I, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll ask we'll ask the man himself right now. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is Mark Schlereth. Is this is this the final appearance on the show? Is this it, Mark? Well, you know, I mean, for right now, but I'm sure that we'll be uh, talking in the future, anyhow. Like you know. Yeah, I'm not, like I'm not saying you. I'm not ever coming on again or anything. <laughs> can we? Can we just call every now and then? Check in, see how you're doing. Say hello. Yeah, just check in, say <laughs> hi. You know, see what's going on. Hey, I was I was just uh, I was just talking about this situation, and we'll get into all the other aspects of the Super Bowl. I want to get your take on, but the one that seemed to kind of catch fire after the game was you had a couple of players from the 49ers talking about the overtime rules and saying. Oh, I did. I didn't know they had changed. I thought, you know, if we got the ball first and we scored, we win, what have you, and that became a big story, which I I totally get. You want everybody on the same page. How do you not know? How do you not educate these guys on every aspect of what could happen? But in the end, does it really matter whether they knew? As long as Kyle Shanahan and the coaching staff knows, they're the ones calling the plays. They're the ones dictating whether we're going to kick, we're going to receive the ball, what have you. The players are just trying to execute the plays that are called. So whether they knew about the overtime rules or not, does that change anything in your mind? Um, you know, you would like everybody to know it, but I know how those meetings go sometimes. Yeah. You always have at least four or five knuckleheads on your team that don't really pay attention. And, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know. 
I don't know that that was a you know a huge deal by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know that it affected the outcome. Um, I do know that you know Kansas City had a plan, and right. they had talked about you know Chris Jones said, "Hey man, we already knew. We knew as a team, if it goes to overtime, we're going to defer if we win the kick. You know, if we win the toss, we'll defer, and then we're going to go for it and try to go for two for the win if they end up scoring a touchdown first. So mm-hmm. um, it certainly seemed that one team knew what was going on. The other team had some questions. So, you know, that's a, I mean, it's always a bit concerning. There's always small details and small details are the things that either win you games or cost you games. And for the Niners, it certainly seemed to cost them the game. Yeah. It was uh, when, when he made that call in overtime, were you at that moment going, what's he doing? What, what, what are you doing with that? Or did you feel like, all right, he's got a plan. He knows I'll trust in, in what Shanahan's got going here. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I thought deferring would be, like I thought you would defer that. And then I thought to myself, you know, I was like, well, you know, the, the defense gave up a drive at the end of the game. Maybe you thought they were gassed a little bit. You wanted them as fresh as possible, but then you start going through it. You know I mean? They go, they go down, they kick a field goal. It's an 11 play drive, but it's all, you're, you're basically giving up six yard, you know, completions, eight yard completions. So it's not like they're driving the ball down your throat. You know, it's not an exhausting drive by any stretch of the imagination. And then you think about that, okay, they score, you know, TV timeout, you kick the, you know, you, you end up kicking a field goal TV timeout, you come back, you know, you kick off TV timeout, you, you kneel down, you know, you kneel down a couple of times, you kill the clock, you come back from break again, TV timeout. Yeah. I mean, there had to be 10 minutes of real time that the defense was off the field. So I don't think exhaustion was the deal. And Kyle Shanahan had mentioned that, you know, he had talked to his analytics people, and his analytics people said they should go take the ball in the opening drive. Maybe they didn't know the rules. I, I don't know, but um, the analytics, that's why I hate math people. Like, well, why would you let math people decide the fate of the Super Bowl for you? You know, some nerd that's never actually played. I, I don't, I, okay, I don't get that, but whatever. That's, that's what they decided to do. You, you you won't be surprised to know, Mark. Soon as I heard him mention, well, we talked to our anal- analytics people. I was like, oh, Mark's gonna mm-hmm. love this. You were the first yeah, person I, I mean, thought of. Mark's gonna love this. And, and right, you should just <laughs> fire all the analytics people. Right, you should just fire them all. <laughs> well, so it, looking at the game, what was you know ultimately it was very compelling going to overtime. I mean, in a Super Bowl, we we it's mm-hmm. only happened once before. So in the end, it was incredibly compelling. First half, I felt like, all right, is this great defense or is this just two offenses that are having a hard time getting it going? Although the 49ers started out well until that that Christian McCaffrey fumble, they were driving the ball, and you got to wonder if he doesn't fumble. Feels like they score a touchdown. Maybe we're looking at a different outcome. But what was your what was your feeling in that first half? Well, my first half thought process was you were kicking the snot out of these guys, and you're not putting up any points. I mean, you you can't. I mean, you can't. You dominated the time position. You dominated the line of scrimmage. You dominated the way the game was going, and you went in halftime with a ten three. You know, a ten three lead. Like you can't. That can't be the scenario. That can't be what happened to you when you were such a you know dominant force. So that was kind of my initial thought was, oh, my gosh, you guys just dominated the first half of football, and you didn't capitalize on anything. And then you come right out in, you know, you come right out in the third quarter, 
and they get the ball first. The first play of the game after, or the first play of the third quarter, there's a, you know, a pitch that is fumbled, and Isaiah Pacheco has to dr- jump on it. You're minus eight yards on that one. Then you throw on third down a pick, and then you go three and out. And then you come back, you get the ball back again. Your defense turns them over again or, or stops them again, and you go three and out again. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan mentioned in the postgame press conference, like, hey, it's really hard when you go three and out twice to establish a run. I, I tell you, when it's really, really even harder is when you don't actually run the ball or call a run. <laughs> That's when it's really hard to establish the run. Even harder, when All yeah. you do is throw it. So, you know, I thought a team that dominated the line of scrimmage early got away from what they did well. And, you know, and then the one thing you don't want to get into with, with Kansas City is you don't want to get into a passing game um, because they'll eviscerate you in that. And you don't want to give Patrick Mahomes an opportunity to walk you off because he'll do it 100 out of 100 times. And he did it again. A couple of things that stood out to me, Mark. First of all, at the end of the first half, both quarterbacks had exactly 123 yards passing. I thought that was kind of interesting. But the tight uh-huh. ends, the tight ends were rendered mute in that first half. I mean, Kelsey had one catch for one yard at the end of the first half. Kittle had no yards. Had no on the day. He had two catches for four yards on three targets. What happened? I know Kelsey got open. He had, he had a big second half. He ended up with ninety plus yards, uh, nine right. catches. But what what did you see in that first half? Was that just a, a scheme to take away these two huge weapons from each team? And obviously the scheme worked. Or what what did you see with the tight ends? Yeah, you know, the, it really interesting. I saw a, a Niner team that really didn't go to their tight end very often and didn't really set things up for them off the you know not a lot of. They had a couple of boot keep games early in that, or a couple of boot keep uh, plays early in that game. Uh, one went to use check, and I think one, I don't know, I think one went to Ayuk or whatever. But, like, that's one of those situations where your tight end hasn't got the ball. Let's scheme him. Let's scheme him the ball. Let's, let's run a couple of plays to get that guy involved. And, you know, and it's just the way, it's just the way, you know, from a coverage standpoint and the way they're playing. Um, you know, how they took that away. And a couple of times, uh, there was a couple of times where they brought pressure in critical situations and, you know, it forced the ball out of Brock Purdy's hands quickly. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, the first read wasn't the tight end of those situations. So you got to tip your cap to uh, Steve Spagnuolo, the defense coordinator. He just, he's done a tremendous job all postseason and, and all year, really, for that matter. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of strange how that how that played out that way. And, Obviously, they made it a point with a couple of screens to get it to Kelsey. They didn't do the same thing for Kittle. Hey, as far as uh, and bringing up Kelsey having one yard at the end of the first half, we, we we all saw the interaction on the sideline with him and Andy Reid, and that became a big talking point. But he and 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 Mahomes and Reid all together kind of squashed it. Like, no man, this is a, this is a family. We can yell at each other. It's not a big deal. And then Dave yesterday was talking about times in his career where he and a coach would be screaming at each other. It's just not caught on camera. This obviously in the biggest game of the season, biggest audience of the season caught on camera. Was that a big deal to you when you when you saw the the Kelsey Reed interaction, or did you feel like no, that's just football and that's how it happens sometimes? Or what was your take? Yeah, it didn't affect me at all. My partner, my radio partner in Denver, tried to say when Kelsey shoved him, and I just burst out and laughed. <laughs> shoved him. <laughs> I mean, I was like, shoved him. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, we you know we don't see things eye to eye, but no, that's just a 
mean, that's like Dave said, man, that, that happens. Anybody who's played, whether it's you and a teammate, whether it's you and a coach, um, those things happen, man. They're, they're passionate. You've worked hard. You're trying to win. You're passionate about what you do for a living. Um, you know, you're trying to make a play and, you know, and, and Kelsey wants to be involved and obviously he wasn't in on that play. And then Isaiah Pacheco fumbled and, you know, he was pissed about it. And I don't, I don't blame him. And, uh, you know, when you have that kind of interaction, that discourse that you've got to have um, to really be good, to challenge one another, to really be, to me, that's part of that's part of game planning and execution and everything else. Um, I think anybody who's played any amount of time looked at that and didn't even think twice about it. You, you've had some of those animated conversations in your career? Oh, yeah. I tried to break my uh, offensive line coach's sternum with my helmet one time <laughs> when he was giving me grief. And uh, my exact words, if you think you can block him, be my guest. If not, get the blank out of my face. Um, and I did knock the air out of him, too. Like, I mean, I, I crushed him with my helmet. So, yeah, I mean, those, those, things, those things happen on occasion. Just wasn't caught um, on camera, luckily. Right, wasn't caught on camera. As a matter of fact... I, I got a holding call. We're playing Houston, and we end up losing the game. Um, we end up losing the game like 41-38. And my coach was legendary. Alex Gibbs, legendary. Hall should be a Hall of Fame offensive line coach. But that dude had the foulest mouth you have ever heard in your entire life. And I got a holding call that call, got a 78-yard a touchdown to Mike Pritchard called back. And then the next play – uh, I gave I, I gave up a pressure or something, and um, and he was livid, and he met me on the numbers. So we were like on the thirty yard line. He met me on the numbers at the thirty yard line. Our bench was on the other thirty yard line, <laughs> and he cussed at all the way to the bench. And he's like, "You blanking, blanking, this, that, and the, I mean, just." in my ear just screaming at me right yeah. all the way down to the bench doesn't stop so i sit on the bench and he calms down for a second and he said okay let me ask you a question and i thought at this point i thought he was like okay now we've he's gotten that out of his system right and now we can have a you know a, a legitimate conversation so he goes let me ask you a question i go yeah what is it he goes you got money on the other team? <laughs> <laughs> and then he went right back into a, a, a just a, an absolute torrid, you know, curse-filled rant, uh, and he went right back over the top of it and, and spent another forty seconds, you know, mfing me. So, <laughs> yeah, I've been involved in a few of those. Oh, and and speaking of, and I, I hate to even bring this up, but I got to get your take because I, I imagine it would be colorful. But I'm sure you saw this. You're on social media immediately after the game. The hashtag rigged was was uh, trending, right. and that was a story before this game that this was all set. This entire season, Mark, was choreographed. Everybody's in on it to get the Chiefs to the Super Bowl, to get them to win, at which point Travis Kelsey would propose to Taylor Swift, and then after that she would throw out her her public endorsement of Joe Biden. It didn't happen, and I right. thought those were some really smart people that were well-researched. I'm stunned it didn't happen. Yeah. But but the, the the number of people that that wrote that text, tweeted it with a straight face, that believed it, when you hear that, right. what, what do you even, what's your, what's your response when you see something like that? 
<laughs> I mean, I played long enough to know if, if it was, the game was rigged, I'd have spent a lot less time on an operating table. I promise you that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, why, hey, why are you guys picking on me? Why do I got to be on a slab every other, <laughs> yeah. every, you know, several weeks? Can somebody why, else like, play that role? That, right. Can we get somebody else? Right. So um, now there are some, there are some things that bother you. You know, there is probably legit um, four or five just egregious holding calls that aren't called sure uh, on Kansas City and you know and and that that stuff bothers you a little bit you know I understand that um, part of me I looked at that stuff and I'm thinking to myself you know are you being so mesmerized by watching Patrick Mahomes that you're not actually doing your job mm-hmm. as an official and I think those things are you know th- those things are real like that's human nature sometimes and that stuff really bothers you as a player. And, you know, there are three or four really. There's a, a third and, I think, third and six where Patrick Mahomes scrambled around left end, and Bosa actually got tackled right there at the point of attack. Mm-hmm. So how you didn't call that or how you missed that is is pathetic. Um, but, you know, I mean, they're, they're the officials, and, and – they're fairly pathetic as it is anyhow, you know, with the way, I mean, the, the job is hard and I get the job is hard and they're not very good at it. So um, I don't think it's a conspiracy by any stretch of the imagination. I think our officiating is just garbage. Hey, let me, let me ask you about, uh, and I know Patrick Mahomes will ask you about him in a sec, but you know, everybody's talking about, is he the greatest ever? Is he now better than Tom Brady? All that. Andy Reid should be in that discussion of greatest coaches ever, shouldn't he? I mean, this is a guy who what four consecutive NFC uh, uh, titles with the with the Eagles. I know he didn't win the Super Bowl, but he got to the Super Bowl. Now he's got three titles mm-hmm. here with the Chiefs. They're in the, they're in the AFC Championship game every year. It seems like I mean, shouldn't his name be thrown out there amongst some of the greatest to ever do it? Because it doesn't feel like it is. Yeah, no, I I think definitely. You know, it's it's interesting though. It's amazing. Um, you know, Bill Belichick is well under 500 without Tom Brady. And, you know, he's been, he's won six championships with him. Um, and it takes both, you know, it takes the coach and it takes the player and it takes the quarterback and it takes all those things, um, to be great. But you certainly have to have a guy, um, that can execute, you know, and, and I'm so sick and tired of the Kyle Shanahan stuff that I hear. Well, he can't win the big one. Well, now, wait a minute. You know, they got the one with uh, when he was an offense coordinator with Matt Ryan, and they lost to Tom Brady, and now he's been to two, one with Garoppolo and one with Purdy, and he lost both of them to Patrick Mahomes. Like, I, I would say, you know, pump your brakes on the you can't win the big one. Um, what he's been able to do and how he's, how he's coached his football team and the amount of games they've won with, you know, Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo, um, you know, and, and a myriad of other guys in Brock Purdy, I'd have to say they've done a pretty damn good job there in San Francisco. Did your opinion of Brock Purdy change one way or the other after this game? No, I think Brock Purdy is, is an outstanding young quarterback. Now, you know, I mean, you, you get a third down and four, should have been a touchdown in overtime there, and you bust the protection. And those are the little things, like when you have – you have confidence and you're well coached in the details, the attention to details. I don't know how you bust a protection in that particular, you know, in that particular scenario. I, I don't understand how you mix that up. And, you know, I mean, I played a long time in the league. Um, my understanding is, 
is you always block the big guys, right? Like that's our responsibility, the four downs, and then whoever else you decide to designate in protection. But you can't let 95 run <laughs> scot-free and hit your quarterback in the Chris, teeth when you got a wide-open Jennings yeah. that's going to be a touchdown. Like I, like Chris Jones of all people. Things. Yeah, th- those, are, those are the little things that absolutely kill you as a football team. And, oh, by the way, Chris Jones also affected. There were two touchdown throws that I think Purdy makes both of them if Chris Jones doesn't alter the throw and hit him just as he's about ready to release that ball. One to Ayuk in, in the first half and then one to uh, Debo Samuel in the second half there that was that was wide open that he just overthrew because he got hit by, by Chris Jones. I mean, he is incredibly impactful dude, no question about it. Uh, before we let you go, just a thought on Patrick Mahomes. Is it fair to have him in that conversation now as uh, amongst the greatest, the greatest ever? He doesn't have the number of titles that Brady does, but is is he in that? Is he technically a better quarterback than Brady? Where do, where do you rank him, I guess? Because that's the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think it's fair to have the conversation. You know, everybody's going to have their own opinion. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll bump Brady down when Mahomes wins that many championships, but or, or comes close to it. Maybe he doesn't have to win the exact same amount, but you know, he keeps putting up MVPs and MVPs of Super Bowls, and you know what he does is incredible. And the fact that you know he has done it now, and he did it this year when offensively they were out of sync, they really didn't have the receiving core they've had in the past. Um, he's he's pretty incredible, um, and. You know, I'm, I'm I like as much as I'd like to hate his guts, I just can't. Uh, I just, I, I love kind of greatness, and the guy is a the guy is not a good but a great football player, and I mean his ability to do it when it matters the most in crunch time is is pretty incredible. Mark, we look forward to these conversations each and every week and each year. It's been a lot of fun. We always appreciate the time, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll check in every now and again just to just to catch up and see how you're doing. Absolutely. It's going to be great. Anytime. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. See you, brother. There, there you go. Mark Schlereth, everybody. If you missed any of that conversation, it will be available on the podcast page after the show. Always good stuff with Mark. Coming up, uh, getting back to baseball. When you break it down position by position, Mariners look pretty good on paper. We're going to weigh in on some areas that could be better or worse than expected coming up next. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks once again to Mark Schlereth. He joined us in the previous segment, in case you guys just tuned in, his final appearance of the season. But he did say we could check in every now and again, just say hi, and we miss him and want to hear your voice, hear you're doing okay. Get him to tell yet another insane story that seems like it couldn't have happened, but probably actually did. Exactly right. Exactly right. Love, Mark. Uh, So if you guys missed that conversation, it will be on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. We've got our Mariners baseball insider, Shannon Dreyer, back in studio with us after she went on walkabout outside enjoying the weather. No, you didn't go outside, did you? You went downstairs. I went downstairs. Yeah. It's nice down there, too. Um, Talking about the Mariners, just looking position by position. And you've got some of the uh, zip scores here, but just looking how they stack up against others in this division at their position, and pretty favorable. Some are, I, I have to say, kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. In some, you start with catcher Cal Raleigh is atop the list. 
by the Zips numbers, the best catcher in the division. Does that surprise you at all? No, Jonah Heim has had a good, and these are projections, okay? And yeah. projections—that's all they are. Is it's it's an est, you know a mathematical different formulas, different systems, and these are the Zips projections. And I, I don't put too much into them because you actually have to do it. But I think this is kind of one of all of those things being equal. It kind of gives you a little bit of a picture, yeah, uh, of where things are. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then if they if it's a bad score for Mariner, then we just go, well, it's a projection. It doesn't mean anything. Well, we know better. <laughs> but when they're at the top like this, you go, hey, there's some validity to this. Absolutely. Uh, so, so Cal Raleigh, they've got as the best catcher in this division. Now, this is the one that surprises me. First base, they've got Ty France as yeah, the best first baseman. Yeah, they have baseman. him with a 1-9 of the zips. And uh, that with a 1-9, that's actually pretty low. And we're talking about war here, right? Um, so they didn't, they weren't really high on any of the first basemen <laughs> right. in the division, but yeah, I Ty guess France he's technically right tied, right? With Nate Lowe, yeah. Um, and then you've got the A's, the Angels, and they do not like Abreu. They've got him all the way at just a half, half hmm. yeah, half a point. I've I've always felt like Ty France is a decent first baseman. I don't think he's got a ton of range, but it's first base. You don't see a guys that. Well, this is so, offensive and defensive, right? Right, together. and he's coming off, and we've seen extremes with him offensively we've seen where it just feels like he gets a hit every time he's at the plate well that's we've what he that was version. remember he's yes. Ty. he can really hit france yes we, we have not seen that guy in a little while he's been working on that i've heard optimism about what he's done we won't know until the season you know he starts facing live pitching in games but there is reason to think that he can get back to what he has been at the plate before we move on what do you think happened what do you think happened? Because he was be he was just kind of the guy you didn't even think about. Like, yeah. oh, I'm not worried. He'll he'll come up with a hit. He's going to make contact. He's going to he's going to do something because that's just all he did from the day he got here. Mm-hmm. He hit for the same exact average that he hit in San Diego. I think it was three oh three. I'll look it up. But it was exactly right. the, it was it was over uncanny. a year. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I do think that as the league saw him a little bit more, they found his weaknesses, and he was aware of that too. But he still swung at, at, at pitches that he knew that he could not get to. I do think there was a little bit physical uh, that goes into that, that he wasn't able to get to it. And I'm hoping that that's where driveline helped out a little bit more, too. And then the other thing about Ty France is because he could really hit, and he had really hit for so long, and he, he's very old school, he was not somebody who wanted to change very much and somebody who very much felt that, I know what I need to do, I can do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why, for me, one of the big positives was him going to driveline. I think that was bigger for him than it was for a lot of players, that he's not kind of really been as trusting in that department. You know, His swing is a little bit different. It always has been. His approach is a little bit different. It always has been. And so I think that he's thought he's not conventional. He's not your normal, typical hitter up there. So he's he's his best hitting coach. Yeah. So the fact that he got some help, I think, is is very encouraging. By the way, I'm seeing why the numbers I threw out there for Julio were errant. ESPN seems <laughs> to be having a problem because if you see here, what does that say at the top? Seattle Mariners batting stats 2023. Who's there? There's Julio, there's JP, and then you scroll down, and it's the Dodgers. <laughs> Mookie Betts, Max Muncy. I'm going, wait, where's Ty France? What is going J.D. Martinez, Freddie Freeman. Yeah, that's all over the place. ESPN seems to be having a problem right now. So, so I, I guess I, I won't guess rely on them. Let's go to baseball reference or fan grass. <laughs> guess I won't be relying on them for the <laughs> remainder of this conversation. All right, so we'll move on to some other positions here. So at second base, they've got uh, Marcus Simeon is, is uh, number one in the division again. Altuve, number two. Polanco is number three. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's up from where it was when you had a Rojas and a, I think, Dylan Moore platoon at it. Yeah. At second. Now, the, the Polanco we're going to see with our own eyes. I don't know how many people are paying attention to him outside of Seattle, uh, outside of uh, 
uh, watching them when they play Seattle. But one of, one of the reports we got is, well, that shortstop, his range wasn't great. So at second base, you figured it would be better. And then they said it wasn't that much better at second. What, what's your feeling about him defensively? I know this is both offense and defense, but just defensively, what's your thought? I think we're going to see them take a little bit of a step backwards in the infield defense. And I'll be interested to see. Hopefully Perry Hill can help out a little bit with that. But, you know, he's not a gold glover over there. Um, I do know that they like Rojas better at third than they liked at second, that Rojas is a little more comfortable at third base. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think that, yeah, I I think it's going to be a little suspect in the infield all the way around. Shortstop, they've got Corey Seager. Number one, they've got JP number two. What what's his uh, his WAR number? Uh, two nine. Two nine. So they got Seager at four four. So, but number two, they got and him ahead of Jeremy Pena. Seager had the surgery, so now you're wondering yeah. if you know he. They're thinking he will be ready for the season. He won't have a normal spring training. He could get off to a slow start. Uh, third base. This is going to be interesting to me. Uh, they got Bregman number one. That's that's not surprising. They got Josh Young number two. They've got, uh, I guess it's going to be, is it going to be a platoon? Is it going to be Rojas? It'll be a platoon. You'd, but do you think it's going to be primary? Rojas and Arias. But do you think Arias is going to be the primary guy, or do you think it's going to be a straight I think it's going to be a straight platoon. Okay. And, you know, that could evolve into something else. Okay. And then they've got uh, Toro here. Is that <laughs> is that Abe Toro? That's Abe Toro. He's with the A's right now, last. Oh, goodness. And, of okay. course, Anthony Rendon, if he decides to show up and the season isn't too long, you know, maybe he starts in May or June to be more comfortable with it. I don't know. What a turd. I what can't a turd say that, that guy but yes. Is. Yeah, he is. I'll say it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Doesn't even like baseball. Left field, you've got uh, Evan Carter. You've got Chaz McCormick. You've got Taylor Ward. And then you've got Rayleigh. Yes. Uh, any thoughts there? Your outfielders for the Mariners that are not named Julio are not highly ranked by the projections. Uh, there's going to be, I think, room for improvement. Rayleigh, they don't really like, and I think that's because they think he over- outperformed last mm. year. We'll see. I know some that think that there's more uh, in there and that the experience will help move them forward. You'll also see the Mariners use the platoon advantages in the outfield. Uh, center field, Julio in the, the top, top spot, uh, followed by Trout. Well the, ahead of Trout, by yeah, the way. Yeah, 5-7 war versus a 2-6 for Trout. Uh, and then you move to right field. They got Kyle Tucker. They've got Adolis Garcia. Uh, Hanniger is back there at uh, 0.5, where Tucker leads at 3.9. Hanniger, we'll, we'll see how available he is and what his mobility is like. And then DH, of course, Jordan Alvarez would be shocking if he were anywhere but the top. Uh, and they've got Garver second to the last. And I think another part of this is these numbers are dependent on how much they play. And so a lot of the Mariners, we've talked about health has been an issue. I think that was taken into advantage into in into what they are doing right here. So I think that kind of plays into it too. But if you look at the position players, you've got a Mariner uh, on the top, a catcher at first base, second and shortstop. I think um, Julio first in the outfield as well. So I think that would be surprising. I think people look at that and I'll go, okay, if you're stacking up, and this is a little game that we play in the booth sometimes before series, who would you take on the other team? Would you take a Mariner or the opponent? Yeah. And you kind of go around the field just to kind of give a feel of where the two teams are. Uh, quickly, we'll go through these bench. They've got the Astros. They've got the A's bench ahead of the Mariners, interestingly enough. And then the bullpen, they've got the Mariners number one. Looking at the starting pitchers, they go – they go first, second, third, fourth, fifth, yep. going through the rotation. So they've got Castillo as the best number one. Uh, the number twos, they've got Valdez, the top spot. They've got I Kirby number two, disagree which I don't with like. That. Yes. Yeah. Uh, number th- um, as far as third spot, Gilbert. I agree. Uh, fourth, 
They got Bryce Miller second to the last here, right? Third to no, last. No, third to the yeah. last. Excuse me. Third to the last. Hunter Brown, Dunning, then Miller. And then fifth spot, they got Wu as the number one. Okay. That might make up for it a bit. But it, they're, they're, just in terms of projections, I get it's conversation piece. We'll see if they live up to these numbers and maybe exceed. We'll see. But uh, their strength is certainly their pitching. It is it is highly thought of. And the bullpen, they've got number one as well. So there's a lot to to be optimistic about with this team if they can stay healthy. Just stay healthy. Big if. <laughs> Big if. Big if. Uh, speaking of health, we heard an interesting story from a guy who's uh, trying to get healthy again. Robbie Ray about one of his most pivotal pivotal moments as in his Mariners tenure. We'll get into that. Coming up, it's Wyman and Bob with Shannon Dreher in. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up at 5 o'clock today, El Hombre, Michael Bradley will join us on the program. Did you say, Shannon, that somebody told you you were, you were avoiding a landmine with Michael Bradley? Pretty much. <laughs> Have you ever spoken with him? I don't think so. He'd go easy on you. He's fine. I He's would fine. hope so. He's good people. He's good people. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so apparently Robbie Ray was on uh, Foul Territory, the podcast, and went into uh, detail about the playoff home run. We all watched him give up to Jordan Alvarez. Do you remember that moment? Yeah. Yes, I don't know that we need to relive this. I don't know that Robbie Ray needed to relive that. Well, here he is reliving it, and he talks about what our old buddy Paul Seawald told him after giving up that home run. Paul came up to me and was just like, look, you should have never been in that game. Like, I, I let those guys get on, and I put you in that situation, and he's like, I'm the closer, and you, I should have locked it down. He was like, you shouldn't feel like you lost this game. We all lost it. And I think for me, like, him, hearing him say that, like, it was we lost as a team, and it wasn't just my fault. Like, it, that was the biggest thing that kind of helped me out with that. It was like, everybody's still on my side. It's not like I went out there and tried to give up the game. And everybody knows that I'm prepared and I, I put in my work and I do my job the way you're supposed to do it. So it, it was just one of those things where, you know, that night it didn't work out. It just happened to be in the playoffs in a big situation. So, but hearing him tell me that was definitely, uh, definitely made it easier. I love Paul Seawald. I love Paul. Love that guy. And Robbie's a good dude, man. I, I It's a bummer what happened with him because we were all out there at spring training last year mm-hmm. and he looked phenomenal. He looked physically to be in a different kind of shape everybody was marveling at his at his velocity and what he was doing out there it seemed like he was primed for a big season and then the injury happens yeah it it was funny I was asked on the morning show last week who what was kind of the biggest loss that the Mariners in the moves that were made in the offseason and I forgot that Ray was traded we haven't seen Mm -hmm. Robbie in almost a year and I said Marco in large part because you don't have a lot of depth in the starting rotation. He can fill any role. He can protect young players and that he can go out and eat up innings. And if he's got a bad game, he's not going to be looking over his shoulder for mm-hmm. the bullpen to come bail him out. And also in that the pitching, I love what they have in the pitching. And I think the bullpen, that was an area that I was really worried about. And then they added Santos and you feel a little bit better about that. And they've got some interesting arms and they've been known to do some good things with interesting arms like Paul Seawald that we know yeah, nothing about like at this time of the like, year. Like, yeah, so we'll, we'll give him a shot and we'll give him a chance to, to shake out the rest of the pen there. But what you don't have is a ton of that experience. And you don't have, you've got Luis Castillo and... He's a little bit of a a quieter guy, and if Mm -hmm. a young guy needs help, he will help them. But Robbie Ray and Paul Seawald were true 
vocal leaders that, you know, younger players could lean on. Mm -hmm. And that is something that somebody's going to have to kind of pick up there. And that is something that they don't have uh, as strongly as they did last year. And Robbie was absolutely one of those guys. Paul Sewald grew into one of those guys. And you can hear what that means, even veteran to veteran in that situation, because Robbie had never been in that situation before, and that shook him up. Mm -hmm. And you need a teammate to come over and, and do that. So um, he, he was very gracious to tell that story again. I'm sure that's one that he doesn't like reliving very much. Yeah, and I think that was – it's kind of like the Seahawks Super Bowl with the turnover with the Patriots. Like that just sealed somebody's impression of uh, Bevel. Daryl Bevel was just a moron right. after that. He doesn't know anything about football. How do you even have him on a coaching staff? Get rid of him. He's – Meanwhile, they were a top 10 offense. I think every single year he was he was their offensive coordinator and looking at how things have gone recent years, you'd love to have Daryl Bevel. But I digress. <laughs> I, I feel like that was the lasting memory of Robbie Ray was that, you know, and, and what was on the line at the time and how much it meant. How different do you think last year would have been if he were healthy the whole year? Is this a playoff team? Is he, a, is he enough of a difference to where you feel like this team wins a couple of more games than they are in the postseason? Probably. I mean, when you look at how close they came and that what that would have meant is you would have pushed Bryce Miller off a little bit further and perhaps his kind of peak would have been at a more important part of the year and perhaps they wouldn't have found him out and the lefty issue wouldn't have jumped up as soon and you would not have gone to Brian Wu and he would have had a full year of development in the minors and you wouldn't, I think, you know, we were talking about September a lot of things went wrong for the starting staff. And so it could have even gotten you those two wins in the month of September, very possibly. Yeah, it's, uh, I know, listen, that's the nature of that position. To me, with starting pitchers, it's not if they get hurt, it's when they get hurt. Unfortunately, it just, that's how it goes. Right. The, the anomaly, the rarity is the guy who's just always healthy. What was weird is this team did not miss a start the previous season, the 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 rotation, which was almost a freak occurrence. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Well, it doesn't, but you also brought just three of the absolute Ironmen in starting pitching over the previous five years mm -hmm. in, in innings pitch. Marco Gonzalez, um, Robbie Ray, and Luis Castillo had started more games than just about everybody. I believe they were all in the top seven over the last few years before that in innings pitched and in games, pit, in games pitched, games started. So, you know, these were guys that answered the bell every time, and they had a lot of innings, and as you just said, it is when, so perhaps that did have a little something with to do with that. How much do you miss Paul Seawald? Just the guy. I mean, I, he he turned into such a good pitcher. I remember that we interviewed him when they brought they brought him, Kelnick, and Logan Gilbert up at the same time, and we interviewed him, and we're kind of going, "Who's Paul Seawald?" And he joke he totally <laughs> joked about it, like, "Man, I'm proud to be part of this youth movement," and you know, he he had such a great sense of humor right out of the gate. And we're kind of like, "All right, well, at least he's funny." And then he turns into a guy you're counting on, and he's your closer, and he yep. just became such a crucial part of of the team. Uh, just to me, he he was such a, a great personality to have in that clubhouse and out there in the bullpen for those guys. Yeah, and he turned himself – I mean, he had a lot of life experience, and he had a lot of experience of not having success. In New and York, in, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's important when you're a reliever, particularly at the back end of the game, when you could – you know, the game is on your shoulders at that point. Everybody's done everything to get it to you 
And it's a lot heavier than, you know, if you're batting second in the next inning or things along those lines. So uh, I'm very impressed by how quickly he was able to kind of merge into that leader role, even though he was still pretty new to doing what he did. He acclimated to it pretty quickly, had a lot of confidence in what he did, had a lot of confidence in the system and what the Mariners were trying to do, and a lot of interest in that, too. He asked a lot of questions, and Mm -hmm. I think he could probably be a front office guy for a club someday when he's done. I think that's something that he would have interest in. And he was great with us, too. You know, he He was was very upfront with with things and Mm -hmm. and explaining things and, you know, giving you a little insight when you needed a little insight. So um, he was good on and off the field. I was thrilled for him in the postseason. Good for him to have that opportunity. It would have been a lot of fun. Um, But, you know, and that was a concern that they never really replaced him until I think now they somewhat have. You want those three that you have at the end. Santos is somebody that can fill one of those roles. So I think you can say they finally got that caliber arm, three of them, at the back of the bullpen now. Shannon, appreciate you jumping in on short notice. Thanks so much. You got it. It'll be be a blink of an eye, and we'll be hanging out in uh, spring training. It's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. There she is, Shannon Dreher, our Mariners insider. Coming up, Mike Lefko will uh, go the rest of the way with me. There's a surprising sentiment about this Seahawks team for the upcoming season. We're going to get into that next. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.